welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we're in week number four of stay-at-home orders from our respective state governments. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is upon us. How you holding up over there, man? Um, it's it's going. It's it's moving along and uh, starting to get in a little bit of a a rhythm. I don't the working from home thing. I'm not as familiar with, but we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, man. Why don't you give us a cheers and get us kicked off right? Well, obviously, COVID's the place where we have to to go. Here we are in. I think what most almost all news agencies, most scientific communities, most hospital communities think this is going to be this week or potentially bleeding into next week is going to be one of the worst for the U S um, that we're going to face uh, with regard to spread, um, you know, really seeing to the, the, maybe not the ultimate peak, but like in terms of speed of spreading and things like that, uh, we're going to be in the throes of it. And then obviously death toll as well. So uh, there's no, happy way to, to, to bring that up because it's devastating to what's happening to families and people across the country. Um, health wise, you know, people losing jobs, uh, unemployment, everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty devastating and it's hard when you're, you know, still working from home every day to, to really take some time and think about it. We threw out a day donation the other day to, um, one of the big kind of world health food, uh, food, um, organizations trying to, you know, try and make sure people are fed, but everybody's feeling it. And I know you got, you know, people in your family feeling it as well. It's, it's tough. So to, so do I, from an unemployment perspective, it's just, it's, it's devastating. So, you know, stay strong, stay inside, keep grinding it out. Um, but I think we got to be prepared to have this run through probably into June at this point is the, probably the latest I'm hearing from the corporate world, everybody that I'm around, all the companies we work with, the companies that we own are all preparing to stay, you know, all the way through, all the way through June at this point. So, um, pretty crazy, but it's, it stinks, stay strong and, uh, you know, take care of yourselves. Yeah, man. Uh, cheers to staying safe. Sorry to start the podcast on a bit of a sour note, but that's what this world is right now. And, We've got quarantine life, the no sports life that's happening right now, and it sucks for avid sports fans like ourselves. And I just moved into this big house. Um, I should say uh, big to me because I was living in an apartment downtown Philadelphia, and we happened to move right in the middle of March. So basically got out right before uh they told everyone to just stay home. And so fortunately, even though my wife is now home working from home full time, I work from home full time all the time. So this is not new for me, but it's new um, having her around all day, every day. And uh, it's, it's gotten chippy at times. I'm sure that's happening to a lot of married couples or people who live with roommates or whatever, that you're just, you're on top of each other. So you're just constantly around each other and seeing no one else, but things have been going well. And I'm grateful to be in a house. I can't imagine if we were still in our, you know, thousand square foot apartment downtown. One, chances of contracting the disease and the stress that would come from that would be scary, but just being like in close quarters, both working, that would be a challenge. So I'm grateful we made the move and we're safe here uh, at, the, at this time. And uh, I'm excited to talk tonight, hopefully bring people's spirits up a little bit with the topics we have to discuss. And how how are you doing with being at home all the time with the wife. Are you drinking more? Are you eating more? 
Uh, I'm actually, I'm doing a good job. I'm, I'm trying tonight. I'm going to have a, a couple beers, but I'm doing my best to like, not like drink during the, the week really. Um, and just save it for the, the weekend. Otherwise it would be, it would be bad, but I, I totally agree with you. This is a nice time to get in front. And I, I started with the serious note so we can be hopefully on a lighter, lighter note for the rest of the podcast because, you know, everybody's hearing this stuff constantly. So I, we're not making light of it, but I do want to like, you know, kind of have people enjoy a breath of fresh air and enjoy something mm-hmm. and listening to Virginia Tech. I'll tell you a quick story about us. We were about to get on a plane to Columbia south america that was a gift oh, wow. that was a gift from my my wife and we wanted to keep it we wanted to keep it we brought my daughter over to my mom's house and i, I kid you not i we had her there we we're about to go to the airport our flights in four hours and columbia at that moment started the quarantine on people from the highest risk countries so obviously china you know the, the four highest risk we were on like the tier down and i remember i was looking at my wife i was like I was like, listen, there's a lot of places that I could go to and like mess around with this whole thing. But if we get there and they put us in a 14 day quarantine and we decide we are about to go crazy in a hotel room in Columbia, South America, I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. Like like they're (laughs) arresting people for like leaving. I was like, that is not a prison system that I'm like, you know, no, ready to. That would not be a good situation. I'm <laughs> yeah. very glad you decided not to do that. We bailed at literally trip. four hours before before the flight. So um we wow. made the we wow. made a lucky and, and the right decision. We were we were being a little stubborn about our trip and I don't know anybody that really thought at that time that it was gonna escalate this quickly, but we, we certainly didn't. And we got lucky that yeah, we decided to stay home. Yeah. I would say uh, with regard to the eating and drinking thing, in the very beginning when they told us to stay home, it was kind of like, kind of felt like you were at camp or something. Like it it felt different. So we were drinking a lot. Like I was probably having like three, four beers Hmm. almost every night. And then that slowly, I had to cut that out because it was just, I was sleeping bad and everything else. Now I'm pretty good. Like every other night I'll have a beer or two, yeah. but there's just nothing to do besides like watch TV. I mean, you can do yard work during the day or go on a walk or something, but at night it's like, do you watch TV? Do you watch Netflix? Like it's tough. I, I don't know if I sent you this. Um, when I get like on a new task, I get, I get just engrossed into it. Like the, the podcast is probably now we're in almost like six years of this. It's probably the longest hobby I've really kept up with because when I get into something, I do it like a madman and then end up, fading on it so my wife's like yeah i want shelves in the in the garage we were going to pay somebody to build like a nice shelf system i was like well i might as well do it banged out like a full 10 foot by like 18 foot shelf system in like two days didn't stop and then afterwards i thought to myself that was really stupid there's nothing else for me to do around here you should have drug it out (laughs) a little bit more (laughs) that's what she kept saying so as soon as you build this you're not gonna have anything else to do yeah, and that was good for us too because when you move into a new house, there's a lot of tasks. One, unpacking boxes, but two, just little fix-it things. And I'd like to make a ton of trips to Lowe's. I've been trying to limit them because you're not trying to go out too, too much. But I have made a bunch of trips to the hardware store and stuff to just get things done. So that's been nice to yeah. get on top of my to-do list in the new house. But uh, we're slowly but surely running out. <laughs> yes, yes. And, <laughs> and, uh, and there's no sports. So that, right, there's you know. no sports and you can't go to the gym. Like that was my thing when I work from home. Like my one escape was to either go get coffee at some point during the day or go to the gym. And I did, I go, I went 
go to the gym during the week almost every day. And now I don't have that at all. And so instead I walk to the pantry like 20 times a day and just like look around in there to, for something to eat. It's, it's getting pretty bad, but, uh, I'm, I'm trying hard to limit that and go outside more and things like that. But I, uh, I have some news and notes we can talk about here with regard to Virginia tech and football. And there is football stuff to talk about. And we're going to create some topics out of thin air because spring practice has been canceled as you are probably all aware and and uh, that also doesn't mean we're making a bigger deal out of things. It may just uh, we have to focus on them a little bit more. I don't, sometimes people can't miss that nuance where it's like we want to deliver some good content here. And uh, that uh, that doesn't mean we think everything means the world's crashing down on a couple of these topics. Yeah, I would say the topics I've seen the most on the college football podcast have been teams that will be most affected by a cancellation of spring practice. That's been a big topic. And and one of the teams they bring up is LSU because LSU, while they're so good and just won the national title, just got decimated by departures, both coaching and players. And so they need practice. They need reps to get people up to speed. A team like Virginia Tech actually is on a better footing if there is a 2020 season, which we're going to talk about in a minute, than most other schools. I would say that because of the people coming back and all the starters coming back and the experience that we would be in a better position than most. Now we are breaking in a new defensive staff, but they're not all new. So I think we have a little bit of a leg up on some of the other teams around college football. Uh, Going through the ACC, I'm not sure how much of a leg up because a lot of teams were young like us last year. Yeah, I mean, the... the I think it was cover three who, who did it, but they were talking about returning teams and the ACC has a boatload of teams that are returning a lot of starters. I think it leads all five uh, conferences and I don't even know if it's close. There's, there's a lot of programs that are bringing around a lot lot of, a lot of talent next year, but whatever, we will still take it. You'd rather be on that side than on the, uh, the bottom end of it. Absolutely. And and for the ACC, too, most importantly, is that a lot of the teams are bringing back quarterbacks. And clearly, that's the most important position on the field. And I think, I mean, you got Sam Howell, Kenny Pickett over at Pitt, the kid from Louisville, even Sam Hartman down at Wake Forest. He wasn't the starter this year, but he started the bunch last year. Still have Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. There's Last year, it was so many new quarterbacks. And this year, it's going to be a lot of guys returning. So should be a much better season for the conference in general. I saw, thought some things on social media were interesting. We've got our coach now tweeting up a storm. What do you think about Fuente's new social media personality? I think I think we had a, a couple questions about this that we for the mailbag as well. But I made a, a joking comment, which sometimes my jokes and me being like mocking or, or things like that probably bleed into each other and, and people just unfollow me, which is totally cool. Um, but it, it does, he's got a lot more downtime. There's only so many video conferences you can do with your team. There's only so many, you know, video, you know, workouts and, you know, putting those things together. I, I don't know. Maybe the dude just had a lot to do and Twitter was literally the last thing on his list at the, when he was, we were going full bore and we had everything going on. We're also during a dead period right now. 
and the dead period just got extended by the NCAA as well. So you can't really be recruiting. I, I mean, I'd rather him be doing it than not doing it. I'd rather him be engaging the fan base, especially, which we'll hit another topic here shortly, during a time that you really need to engage the fan base with things like missing spring practice, no spring game, who knows what's going to happen in the fall. We may not even have a season. If not, if there's ever a time to make sure that fans are feeling the love and feel engaged into the program, if we, if we were bringing it up as a topic last year, now is the time that you got to really, you know, make people feel love. And maybe he's just got more time on his hands. Maybe he's only, he can only build so many shelves in his garage and he's, he's just engaging people and it, it really doesn't mean anything either way. But I think the fans are really enjoying it. Yes. I think people on Twitter are enjoying seeing that side of him. He's not just talking about football or just putting out football videos. He's asking like, who are the best follows and oh, he's all joking kinds of rings. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's joking around. And it could just be <laughs> that he's bored for the first time in 15 years or, <laughs> because he's been a coach. For or a it could time. be he finds out it's actually kind of fun to engage with the fans. And when... When people don't have that perception that you're kind of avoiding engaging with them, they're probably a lot nicer. I'm sure his hate tweets are, have gone down materially since it's been more fun to kind of follow him. It's just my guess. I, I would agree. I would agree. I think it's I think it's good all the way around for him to engage the fan base more. I think it's great. So we talked a little bit about the spring practice being canceled. The donation period for being Hokie Club member was also extended amid the cancellation of spring practice. So it was March 31st. Yeah. And now it's the end of April, correct? That's correct. Again, they pushed it back another month uh, without, they didn't say why you could read it a lot of different ways. I mean, donations might not have been at the level that they were hoping. They probably were not given everything that's going on. The giving people more time to make their donations amidst financial issues that are happening for a lot of people their own staff and what they're actually able to do as the, you know, Hokie club and accepting donations. That's part of it. There there's a whole host of, of reasons, but, um, it, it, that was interesting that they pushed it back and, you know, hope everybody can get their, their donations in. I got mine in before the, the March deadline, but I think it's probably helpful to a lot. It's also interesting that what that donation actually is going to mean at this point. And it kind of ties into a couple fold with this is a reseeding year for, you know, Virginia tech explain what that means to the listeners. So there's every, I think it's every three years. Um, they, you basically go clean slate on, on all of your seats within lane stadium. So those two interim years that are a lot easier to understand, all you have to do is donate and then you can keep your seat that you had last year. So your, your priority in those two years, as long as you're good with staying intact, like you're like, I got the seat that I want, you can stay in the same place. When it hits a receding year, just picture like all the, you know, the seats all over the, they all get wiped out. Everybody kind of starts from scratch. So depending on your actual ranking with the Hokie Club, you could move up if you donated a lot or have been continuing to donate, you could move up into much better seats during a receding year or somebody that's not actively donating that is falling down the ranking list of what your pick order is. Cause everybody is ranked in, in all of the hooky club. If they're a donor, gotcha. then 
if you are not actively donating, you could find yourself continually falling down the list as other people are making donations and you get points for donation subsequent years for season tickets and subsequent years. And then your total dollar value of donations has a point number associated with it as well. So the point is to keep people active in in donating because otherwise you would slowly trickle down and you could, if you're like one of those top people with seats, somebody could overtake you and in a reseating year, you could lose your seats. Yeah. I had mentioned on the podcast, I was considering buying season tickets this year, not only because of it is a reseating year, but also because the home schedule, having Penn State on the schedule, I wanted to assure myself of having at least two or three tickets to that game by buying season tickets. And with the house and everything else, and that came up quickly for us, I hadn't done it yet. And I was going to make a decision by the end of March because I knew that was the deadline. And so I still haven't made a decision. And now with the prospect of the season being canceled or alternate prospects of will they start the season on time? Will the out-of-conference games not be played, uh, it calls in a lot of things into question. So I don't know. And I'm sure I'm in the same boat as a lot of other people. Like, do I want to put down a deposit of money or whatever? If there's not going to be a season, do I, you know, do I want to tie that money up or whatever? I'm not sure exactly how it works. Yeah. And you have to put a donation down if you want a certain seat. So there's a donation amount on top of whatever. I know this is a little bit boring probably for listeners, but I think it's something that a lot of Hokie fans are thinking about is, do I want to buy season tickets? Uh, What's my financial situation currently? What's it going to be? And is the season going to happen? And so let's just talk about the season in general. You asked me about a week ago, what do you think the percentage is on having the season? And I said like 75, 80%. I, I thought, and keep in mind, this is a week, 10 days ago. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, it was about 10 days ago. What uh, What do you think your percentage is on that question today? Uh, after, since then, is dropped materially. So one of, a few of the ADs have come out and a few of um, uh, the conference uh, heads have come out and they've said at this point, and I think it might have been the Big Ten. Who's the Big Ten's uh, conference chairman? Uh, I can't remember his uh, name. Delaney. Yeah, uh, uh, I thought De- I thought Delaney was the old one. I Maybe. don't know. I'll look it up. It you, doesn't you matter. Keep going. So I think he was. He might have been the one that came out and said we need to know by effectively May thirty first that we're ready to go. We need to start initiating the season and get back to like starting what we are prep and everything for us to have a season this year. So May 31st is his, what in his mind is his deadline. I think some ADs have come out and agreed with that, that notion. So if they don't hit the 31st, we have a, a, a month and, you know, three, three and a half weeks, something like that, where we have to be ready to kind of start resuming normal life and they have to be able to start initiating the process of getting prepared for the season. And uh, it was Jim Delaney just okay. to answer, your, but now it's Kevin Warren. Okay, got it. They they just need to know so far in advance because to me it's totally premature to say we're not going to start the football season in September. But these things, like the planning that goes into these things, is so extensive that I, I guess even if we find a treatment super effective by july it might not be soon enough yeah and they have to also they also have to prepare where they're going to be playing in empty stadiums or full stadiums Uh, i thought one of one of the 
people in the key play posted a comment that was interesting. I can't remember who it was, but it was something I hadn't really thought about. And maybe I'm just naive or an idiot. And that's how comfortable are people going to be, even if we resume normal life, right? By September, mid-September, the end of September, how comfortable people are just going to be in their own minds like that? How, where's the psychology going to be of humans at that point to be able to go out into a crowd of 70,000 people? Probably not going to be 70,000 people there, but it, this is going to have a real effect from the comfort of just being around other humans, not to mention mass numbers of humans at tailgates and in right. the game. Yeah. So, and, and going to the restaurants after the game, everything. Like imagine, think about the first college game day. What's that going to look like? College game day, everyone's shoulder to shoulder for eight hours. Yeah. Uh, that's not happening in September. I, like even if, you know, like they open the gates and they're like, you can go wherever you want. People just aren't going to do it, yeah. even if they're legally allowed to. So it it's a shame because even right now, you know, April 7th, we can say this football season will not look like other football seasons. Yeah. I don't know in what capacity, but it's going to be different. And it's, it's so, it's really a shame because that Penn State game, we've talked about it so much. <laughs> Everyone I know has talked about it so much. I haven't shut up about it on the podcast right. for like it, a it, year it, and a half. We've been looking forward to that game forever. Yeah. And hmm. now who knows? Like, will we be able to attend? Will it happen period. And that, what do you think about the idea of just playing the conference games and starting in October or November? I, I, the problem is, and I know we're killing this whole dialogue, but we're trying to stay on topic, which is whether the season's actually going to happen. I think there's, I'm starting to become skeptical that it's going to happen at all because most of the data that we're seeing out there is there's going to be a lot of the charts that I've seen coming from very reputable sources show what some form of resurgence back in the November timeframe. And it's going to tie into cold weather, people being back in school. Like, you know, if when that, if people start resuming their life, that there could be some form of resurgence of it. And then you're going to stuff a bunch of people into a football stadium there. I mean, there's just no, there's no chance. So uh, it's for me, I think it's down to like 25% chance that we have. And that is, that requires us to ramp up a lot of production on, um, you know, masks and things like that and, and really start, you know, getting to a healthier spot with the medical facilities and the ability to support people. I, I so I'm down to like probably like 20%, 25%. Yeah. I, I'd probably be, uh, definitely under 50 for, uh, it's probably 20% or less for a normal season, like a, yes. a relatively normal season. Season without fans, I'd probably be like, you know, 35%, 40% that that happens. Yeah. I, and then alternate, some type of alternate uh, season, I would probably be above 50%. But like, I just, it's, it's impossible to tell. For the sake of what we talk about later in the podcast, we're just going to talk a, about the team as if the season's coming up. Yeah. But, uh, but for right now, I had a couple of, uh, more fun things before we move on to basketball and then some football recruiting. Uh, the hard hat series videos continue to come out. Uh, they put one out not too long ago about 
who would be your starting five and had guys on the team pick their starting five basketball players. That was pretty from members of the team. It was pretty fun. Uh, Again, another very cool thing that they've done. The videos of Daryl Tapp uh, walking through the stadium and a few other ones he's done are just hitting it right on the head. Uh, Really job well done by the team and the, the staff with that kind of stuff. I thought those were great. And then on the key play, we had Sam Rogers do an AMA last week, which I thought was very cool. Yeah, his um, his responses on that were were awesome. He's everybody loves Sam Rogers. Probably, I, f- I found it funny. He almost was unaware of how big of a cult following he was getting at the time, or maybe <laughs> yeah. he was just being very modest. Uh, I don't know which of of those things it was, but. Um, he was, it was like, well, it's kind of weird that there's a cult following. We're like, well, there's, we're not really, you know, trying to follow you around with a cult. We're just creating, you know, Hulk pictures of you with your face on them. (laughs) So, um, that, that was kind of funny. And, um, he had some really interesting stuff to talk about blocking schemes after some of French's questions on there. And I thought the, one of the most interesting, it was only three lines. One of the most interesting responses on there was his respect and how he thinks of Coach Wente. Like, you, you, given how much people love the work ethic and Sam Rogers and all those sorts of things, and for him to say that he had that much respect and he's kind of emulated the way that he wants to coach after after Coach Fuente, I thought was um, pretty eye-opening in, in terms of how, how he thought of him. I would say I've seen on Twitter, on message boards, and just from the coaches, a lot of the groundswell of support for Coach Fuente. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed that as well? Oh, a, a lot more. And I think people are being a lot more vocal about their support for him. There, There's kind of this social dynamic where, you know, it's it's not cool to be like on one side or the other or have support for one side. I felt like it we had tipped way way too far over to to one side, especially with mm-hmm. the whole Baylor situation. And I I think it's rebounding pretty hard where people are coming out and and there's a I think there's a lot of people that are and they're also being more vocal. Not that necessarily opinions have even changed. Just people are coming out more and, and speaking their mind. All right, let's move on to some basketball notes before we go back to football. The basketball season ended, as you're all well aware, and if there was a year to (laughs) have a very mediocre season and not make the NCAA tournament, this was the year. (laughs) That's that's one thing I'll say about Virginia Tech. We finished the season on a 2-11 stretch. Yeah, six out of the last seven uh, as well. It just was, it was not, it was not great. Uh, No. No, it was 16 and 16 overall. So we finished exactly 500 due to the uh, the good start. But we finished 7 and 13 in the first 20 game ACC schedule. But before the season, I think I would have taken 7 and 13. I know. I think once we started the year and we had four, five, six quick wins, I I thought um, it, maybe we'd hit 10 games, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it quickly faded. And the the team hit the wall, and some players individually hit the wall, and it just it went to crap. We did beat Pitt. That was one of our last couple wins. Took Miami to three overtimes. That was a painful one. We almost beat UVA yep. in a great game. That was a really fun game. 
And we beat Clemson for our last win before losing to UNC to finish out the ACC tournament. That was a bad draw, getting UNC in the ACC tournament because they were finally healthier. And you just knew that game wasn't going to go well. Yeah, The the tournament didn't finish anyway, but (laughs) I still thought we could have got added an extra win potentially. Yeah, he with and all you ended up with was just the reputation of having like you know the UNC loss after how bad their season had been, and everybody's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. as opposed to everybody actually recognizing that they had had finally gotten healthy. We also had Landers Nolly and Isaiah Wilkins enter the transfer portal right after the season ended. Uh, not totally surprising with regard to Wilkins. Nolly, we had heard, might have wanted to go to the NBA after the season. Uh, we had been kind of been hearing that all year. Um, but then it became apparent, <laughs> because his play was going down the tubes, that he wasn't going to the NBA. Yeah. But I guess he just wanted to leave. Yeah. Uh, it, it was tough to understand both of those moves. That said, you understand how, how it works with the uh, college basketball and, and Virginia Tech better than I do in terms of like who's coming in and what that's going to mean for that dynamic. But there's just so many fewer players that uh, I, you know, I don't have a good understanding of how good he was. I mean, he started really hot for us. He, he was playing out of his mind. He was and said he wanted to be absolutely, you know, what you know freshman of the year and he was he was playing that way to start things off and then it just quickly um just went downhill so just his play for it to change that dramatically you almost felt like there there might have been something that was not going great in terms of a cultural fit or not you know like in the way the team was operating it was almost as if like he kind of gave up it was almost as if he was playing with uh one foot out the door Mm -hmm. and i i don't want to like I don't want to like put that on him like in a in a mean way. No, I just think like sometimes if you know you're leaving a place, whether it's a job or anything else, maybe your heart's not in it all the way. And Mike Young, to to his credit, was like trying to get Nolly going yeah. like, again and again. Nolly would shoot so poorly in a game, and Mike would trot him out there with the starters and like we need him. We, like he would say it after every game, like we need him to score if we want a chance to win. All yeah. this, and eventually he had to bench him and. Nolly finished the year shooting 34% from the field and just under 25% from three in conference play. Those are both conference play numbers. Um, That's terrible. And I know he was a freshman, but he wasn't a true freshman. And if you're shooting under 40% from the field as a guy that you need, like you're supposed to be the the lead scorer, that is just not going to get it done. And I think that if he had stayed and developed – he could have been very good, very talented player with a very yeah. high ceiling, as we saw at the beginning of the year. But he decided Tech wasn't for him. Wilkins was a bench hand. Uh, I really liked him as a freshman with Buzz. The system might have not been perfect for him, but I still expected him to to be better this year. And and just being one of the older quote unquote guys on the team, I expected him to be better. And he was under four points per game in conference play. Not a huge loss losing Wilkins, but a seemingly great guy, and and I wish him the best going forward. Yeah, I mean for both of them, I hope they end up at a good spot. I've I, I've just become so much more. It's become so much more prevalent that I've almost got sick of talking about transfers, like in any form of negative light. Just like at this point, I'm just like go go be happy somewhere. 
Like, you know, the, the programs will survive. I'm not, I'm not happy when we lose people and not happy when we lose talented people, whether it's football or, or basketball or whatever. But, um, I, I find it every year harder and harder to really get too like wrapped up in it. It just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work that way. Like people need to go do what they need to in, in life and professionally, educationally, whatever the case may be. So some good news on the basketball front. We got a final 2020 recruiting class commitment from a big man, 6'8 power forward, David Ngesson. His name, I don't know how you pronounce it. It starts with an N apostrophe, so we're already like behind the eight ball from the beginning. But Ngesson, Ngesson, I don't know if you don't pronounce the end, whatever. He's a three-star, number one, number 168 nationally in the composite and we need big guys. So I, I know six eight's not super, super big, but for the college game, that's a nice size power forward. And his commitment moved the class up to number 19 in the composite team rankings with uh, Bamasile, Maddox, and him. That's a nice little trio of players. That's um, that's pretty incredible. And I know a lot of people have started to harp on this, but Mike Young is still out there. And I know a lot of have uh, talked about his the assistance that he brought in and a lot of smart moves that he he made there, but he's still killing it as a head coach on the recruiting trail and much more so than what we probably all expected when he came in. I don't think anybody questioned his coaching ability. Um, certainly not the history and, and you know what he was able to do at Wofford, and now he's um, now he's out there and putting together really solid recruit, recruiting classes. And as we're losing some guys, he's it's giving me confidence that he can go out there and fill in maybe some holes here and there yeah. on the program of people that you know may not be sticking around or moving on. Well, he filled a huge hole in the backcourt by picking up the grad transfer Cartier Diara. He's from Kansas State. He's a 6'4 combo guard. And even though he's going to test the NBA waters because you're allowed to get advice and go to the combine maybe even and then pull out of the draft. If you're a top, I think you have to be a top 50, right? Is that, is that what it is? You have to, it has to be, you have to be rated as like one of the top 50 prospects to be able to go into the NBA. And then there's all these rules and things yeah. like the NCAA can't do anything easy. But yeah, he's essentially going to, hear from some scouts whether he's has a chance of getting drafted or whatever and then i would expect him to play for vt next year that that's that's what essentially i think is going to happen and he's going to be a huge boost to our scoring could potentially replace nally's scoring um no problem 13 points per game last year for kansas state 3.8 rebounds 4.2 assists and almost two steals a game so I, I like him. His shooting could be better. He's a th- almost a 35% three-point shooter for his career, uh, but just 30% last year on more attempts. So hopefully he gets in Mike's young system uh, and takes a step forward with his shooting, but he can definitely score the basketball. He looks really athletic and a 6'4 guard. Like that's some real good size. Yeah, that's um, it's exciting. And I think I got to be honest, it's been, it's been interesting to just see – um, the way kind of Mike Young's gone about it and some of the talent that he's got coming in. I I really did expect the first kind of two to three years to be kind of not as well-known prospects, recruits coming in and then him doing it with his system, like starting to improve the team with the system. But 
Um, he's got some real talent to 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 work with in the next couple of years, hopefully, and you know get things back to you know where you know maybe not exactly where Buzz had him, but on that same trajectory, I think pretty quickly, a lot faster than I think most of us would have expected if you if you took a poll right after he got hired. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at just the roster now going into next year, you'd have BD Horn and Diara, three seniors starting. And then I think you'd probably start a third guard or play Diara at the three and start Radford, right? Yeah. So you, you and then you'd have to go with a uh a big man in either Ojiako or the guy who had to sit out this year, Kiva Luma. Mm-hmm. Uh so I, I don't know how it's going to shake out, but you you still got Cone and Couture and Alane. Like there's, it could be a very nice roster next year. Just the idea that you'd be starting potentially three seniors is nice. Yeah, that's um, that's a, a a ways away from kind of the the youth movement that we we're having to work with for a bit there. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a quick beer break before we move on to some football recruiting notes. Robbie, what are you drinking? Uh, so I grabbed the Captain Lawrence Brewing Company Mandatory Training. It's a New England IPA featuring rye malts, Simcoe, and Bravo hops. It is seven and a half percent alcohol by volume. I just bought I bought a single of these. I haven't done that in a while. Usually I just buy the four pack. So I just bought a single of the uh, sixteen ounce cans, the big boys. It's it's really good. It, it, I haven't, it's tough to tell right now what New England IPA usually has a pretty distinct taste. And this one's uh, a little less, I don't know, fresh. It's a little bit more muddled, but I just don't know how long some of this stuff's been sitting on the shelves. When I go to the beer store, yeah. I, I, I do know that people are obviously buying a heck of a lot more alcohol right now, but most <laughs> of the stores around, um, have shortages and a lot of them have been telling me that they're having to go back into the reserves of stuff that they hadn't sold to like put product out there because the breweries can't keep up with distribution and things like that right now. So, but I, I like it. It's a, it's a really good beer. It just wouldn't be of the new England's I had. It would be in that, you know, kind of two third quartile, the 66 of quartile with, mm-hmm. I just said with 66%. So do that math. <laughs> Maybe like, <laughs> uh, like I, I, I think I, I picking up what you're putting down, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> I am drinking a West coast IPA from Zed's beer, uh, company. This is a local beer from my new hometown, Marlton, New Jersey. It's actually brewed and canned by Badeau brewing, but the name of the brewery in the tap room is called Zed's. And, uh, I, I can't quite figure that out. I know some places have like it's this beer from this brewing company. Like they kind of differentiate it out, but Zed's is a pretty well-known place locally. And they were, they were doing the thing where like they'd send out the email, like, Hey, we're going to have the 10 outside come by and you can pick up beer. And so we did that just right after we moved here and picked up some crowlers and a bunch of six packs. And we had been here once before because my girlfriend is from this town, or I should say my wife is from this town. And, uh, they make a good product, this Zed's place. You, if you're ever in this area, you might get it. This is kind of just my local favorite pick because I felt like I should do something from my new hometown. But this West Coast IPA they put out is pretty phenomenal. We had some of their Rattlers, too, in the Crowlers, and 
I'm a big fan of Rattler season, and it is coming even though there's a pandemic and all the bars are shut down. You can still get beer from a lot of local breweries. So I'll be enjoying, you know, the tropical IPAs that'll be coming out and some of the Rattlers that will be coming out. Yeah, I'm I'm getting excited for the some of the, the summer beers start to roll out. And you can get delivery from ev- everywhere. So there's you get delivery from all the restaurants. Now they'll leave it on your front porch, no matter where you order from. You can get beer delivered to your house from almost anywhere. Yeah, there's there's no reason not to be able to to buy local and help people out. And um, as soon as you said Zed's, I, I couldn't help but just think of Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Zed's dead. Zed's <laughs> yeah. dead, baby. Zed's dead. Love that movie. All right, Robbie, even though it's the dead period right now, I wanted to talk a little bit of football recruiting because the Hokies are still pulling in some commitments. I'll start first with the bad news that we did miss out on Travion Henderson the big time running back, he chose Ohio state. And I know people had some high hopes to get him, but I think any five-star kid like him, like that is not what we're expecting to get. We can pull in the fours here and there, but I don't think anyone was too, too hopeful about Henderson. That would have been so massive for us. Uh, I don't know where his rank came in, who was it that was our highest before that? Was it uh, who who who'd we of have of all time? Yeah, uh, I think it was. Well, Kendall was up there. Yeah. Kevin Jones is number one. Kevin Jones is number one, right? Yeah. yeah. So this that that probably would have been a Kevin Jones type commitment uh, to to the Hokies. And two things: one, I hate to say it, but it's Ohio State. That's yeah. always going to be tough. Two. Ohio State has injuries right now. They've lost people. They have a not a not a as much of a need as a, a school like Ohio State ha- could have. I guess is the right. best way to put it. They have it right now. So when you put those two things together, that's just a, that's really hard to overcome. Not to mention the fact that he's a five star recruit. Yeah, it, it that. It just makes a lot of sense for him to to go out of state for years and years. The top VA kids tend to go out of state. That's that's just how it goes. Uh, but we did get commitments from some good players this week. The first one was three-star safety Will Johnson from Maryland. He's not the highest three-star recruit, but he did have offers from Minnesota, Boston College, Pitt, Louisville, Maryland. He's a really smart kid, a bunch of uh, Ivy League offers, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And he's probably going to develop from safety into a – linebacker of some sort in college football the big get this week was four-star wide receiver Latrell Neville from Texas Uh, he's an 89 in the composite number 307 nationally six foot three almost 200 pounds already and offers from everywhere Uh, Bama Auburn Georgia Ohio State Penn State LSU etc he has tons and tons of offers like more than I've ever seen almost anyone that we've gotten so (laughs) he was a huge commitment at a position of need at wide receiver yes that's right we've worked our way into a position where again wide receiver is a position of need we thought we were set up at wide receiver for years to come but things have happened and we need guys so getting neville in the fold will be awesome and then he's part of that texas like movement that the coaches and Bo Davidson have been talking about 
There was another signal up today from Coach Dytharn. So maybe we got another commitment coming. We shall see, but it's been a good week. We've moved up to number 20 in the composite as of today in the 2021 recruiting class rankings. What were your thoughts on just uh, the momentum this week and and how you feel about this class shaping up? I think, and maybe this is almost too much for this podcast, but it's probably good for another one during this lull period because you and I had almost... I think it was a 30 to 40 minute conversation the other day because that's what we do even when we're not talking on here about <laughs> I know we should record all the phone conversations and then just post them as well. <laughs> yeah, but we were talking about what recruiting kind of looked like and felt like and probably how it was transpiring under Frank Beamer, kind of hometown hero, knew all of the high school coaches, had inroads to a lot of the high schools, had relationships developed there. And then coming out of that and I'm, I'll be quick on this, but I, I think my my thesis or thought process was after the recruiting really started to be challenged with that rank 72 class that, that we had for, in total for 2020, if you were really going to make inroads, and I'm not saying that he's from Texas, that's not my point, but it's more akin to the territory of country that um, Fuente is from, that maybe you would kind of you know, look for other areas that you would, might have more inroads or relationships or no coaches or, you know, no head coaches that can get, you know, I feel like anybody could walk in. Or, I mean, Beamer could walk into any school in the state or in probably, you know, surrounding states as well. And it eventually was, you know, like Wiles and the guys going down to Florida as well. If you lose that access Maybe you just have to go back to your, your roots. So this whole Texas to VT has jumped the shark almost to now where some people are almost like kind of joking about it, but maybe it's real. Maybe that's their, that was their strategy to try and help, you know, start improving the classes. And I think this is another sign that it's, it is for real. It's like really, you know, it's transpiring and the numbers have, <laughs> have shown from the quality of recruits that we're bringing in from there as well as the class in general. Yeah. We've so far the TX to VT movement has been four players. And that was the two we got at the end of the last cycle. Yep. In Bryant and Wooten. And then you add Demetrius Davis, who was technically the first one to commit, even though he's a twenty twenty one guy. And now Neville. And there's another kid in Landon Watson that we are hot on the heels of a defensive end from Texas that could very well end up committing to the Hokies. In fact, there was a recent crystal ball or two that went our way on 247 for Watson. There was also crystal balls for Naquan Brown from Virginia, TJ Quinn from Georgia, Amari Huggins-Bruce, the wide receiver from South Carolina, and Jack Hollifield, the defensive end from North Carolina, who happens to be Dax's brother. Uh, I feel good about Hollifield. I'm hoping that we'll get his commitment soon. Um, but you can see that those players are from all over. It's, there is one more Texas kid there, but you, you got Virginia and Georgia and South Carolina, and North Carolina. Yes. Texas to VT. It is a thing, but you have to keep in mind like the promotion behind it and all the graphics behind it. Um, it may only result in like three players, five players over three or four cycles. It, but 
I still like the idea of it. I still like the hype that surrounds it. And it's kind of a fun thing to talk about. Not too long ago, it was NC2VT yeah. with Hooker and Turner and Dax and like all these guys. So uh, it, these things go in waves. Yeah. You know? and, and I love it. It's fun. But you have to keep in mind that like the whole Texas to VT movement, it's probably, probably a little uh, more hype than in actuality. But hey, if we get Demetrius Davis, Neville, and Watson, that's enough right there to make a hell of a class. Man. Yeah, those will be three of our probably top five recruits in that class. So that mm-hmm. that's not saying, you know, there's a little bit to be said for, you know, the weight of what you're carrying and what you're bringing in, not just, you know, the number, I guess it would be in, in that particular instance. And I, I do think that, you know, we had the whole, this is home type situation going for a period of time. And as you know, the ebbs and flows of what you have from your home state vary in and out. And I know there's varying thoughts on whether we, we need to be, you know, locking down, every single top recruit in in Virginia, which I don't think is possible in this day and age and with the financial resources that schools have in this day and age either, which makes it equally as difficult to do something like that unless you're LSU, that you know, you've got to look outside the borders and be more inclusive. And some of that is probably a little gimmicky or it is a little bit, you know, marketing, but that's all recruiting is anyway. Yeah. Unfortunate to say that there are, and that's not to say there aren't kids that grew up, loved the school, and they, they know they've always wanted to go there their entire life. But recruiting every year has more resources put into it. It's becoming more marketing. It's becoming more about a brand. It's becoming those sorts of things. And, you know, if you're going to cater to I'd rather be catering to it than not doing it because then we would be on the other side just, you know, equally as, you know, annoyed that we're not, we're not doing that. This is all what we wanted. We wanted a higher level of recruiting, and so far we are getting it. We're in the mix for a lot of guys. I don't know how 2021 is going to end up, but I'm pretty certain it's going to be far, far, far better than 2020. <laughs> I, I, I would certainly hope so. I think, I think everybody would uh, would hope so. Yeah. Uh, and But there's like top 20 potential yeah, here with this class. Exactly, and I think that's an area that we can play with in – our resources. I think that's you and I have always kind of said that area is where we should be. If you look at our historical ranking as a program, if you if you look at everything, if you look at our like all time ranking, if you go to websites that do your all time ranking as a program, if you do wins rankings, if you do all that, Virginia Tech over a long, long period of time at this point, now we're talking 20, 25 years, sits in that like perfectly square in that 15 ish to 20-ish range, I think our recruiting should match up to that. And when it's worse than that, then I think there's something that can be or should be worked on to correct. Absolutely. The last big ad that we could get for the 2020 season would be the defensive end from Youngstown State, Justice Reed. He would be a grad, <clears throat> he'd be a grad transfer. He had 19 tackles for loss last year and 13 sacks for Youngstown State. And that is FCS. But Youngstown State is usually a pretty solid FCS program. And I think most recently, wasn't Bo Pelini the head coach there? Defensive defensive guy. Yes. Uh, used to coach at Nebraska. 
<laughs> I think he just went down to LSU. Yeah, I think he took a yeah, I think he took a job down there. But I was about to say, Fopolini is is was the head of uh, of that orchestra for a period of time. But Justice Reed would, like I said, grad transfer. He will probably be twenty four years old this year because he started his career at Florida in twenty fourteen. He transferred. He got injured, got a medical redshirt. He's either in like his sixth or seventh year of college. And so it'd be nice to add that veteran leadership. And and joking aside, defensive end is a position of need as well. And he would be probably an immediate starter if we got him. Would he be older than Brandon Wheaton was than when he graduated? Because I think Brandon Wheaton was 25. <laughs> I think I think Wheaton might have been like 28 or 29. Like I think he was really, really old. No. But yeah, I mean, this team is a veteran team, more so than the last couple years, but he would probably be the oldest player in the team, maybe aside from maybe Jeremy Webb. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's a it's a good get, and I, I do think – those those older players, and a lot of them have gone through sacrifices, so I don't mean this in a bad way, but those older players have had a lot more time on rosters, dealing with personalities, dealing with the ebbs and flows of how things go. I do think as long as you know they, and I don't know him from, from anybody else, but as long as they have a good head on their shoulders, they can add a lot of maturity and they can help a lot of young people develop in ways that aren't just on the field that can benefit a program overall. Yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping we pull him and And that's, that's going to lead in nicely to our next topic, which is spring depth chart thoughts. And I posted the scholarship breakdown of the roster on Twitter earlier today on the 2d handle. And I wanted to talk to you about the spring position battles and just the spring positions that you were most excited for. And I've got a few questions here, but we'll start with the position battles. Most of mine were on offense, but what was the position battle you were looking forward to the most? So I was looking forward to, or I now am, is uh, a very interesting You were going into spring, I guess. It doesn't, it's whatever. Fall camp now, spring, whatever I won't use position battle because in the way that I respond to this, because my number one's probably a little bit weird, but I wanted to see whether there was actually, I shouldn't put it that way, whether the Burmeister stuff was real. Uh, that, that, you know, people said that there were quotes from people saying that he was the most developed on the field. I still think it would be Hooker's job to lose, but having, if Burmeister was as good as whether you call them rumors or people, you know, talking about what his talent level is, whether he could push Hooker. Hooker already finished the season really, really well. If you if you look at it in terms of what he did and 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 having not played in four of those games last season, with a, even an added pressure behind him to elevate his game. So I don't want to say it was a position battle as much as just seeing how those two played off each other and whether um, it really had an advanced both of their games even even farther would be was interesting to me and something that I was looking at because we had heard more and more about Burmeister and then it started to come out that people had really high thoughts on his ability that he could have been the most well-developed QB on the roster, but the only, you know, he couldn't play. So 
that was that was interesting to me to see. So I'll take them one at a time because I got I got four or five. Yeah, no, I'm with you on at, at quarterback because I had that. It wasn't my first one for what I was looking forward to, but it was definitely one of the ones I had. And even throw Quincy in there too yeah. because Quincy got a chance to play a little bit last year, led us to the win over UNC, and played a damn fine game against Notre Dame as well. Yep. I would expect that Hooker wins the job, but I do think those guys were going to push him. And you know Fuente, he doesn't like to name that starter sooner than he has to. They would have absolutely had a shot. And I knew he was I know he was going to give Burnmeister a chance to win the job. So I think the fan base might revolt if oh, Hooker's not the starter on day one. But I think Burmeister would have uh really pushed Hendon. Uh, this spring and into the fall. Yeah, and and that was my point. Is that's why I, I I hesitate to call it a position battle. It's just more the way that those guys could have played off each other and really advanced each other would have been awesome to see. That's the point of spring mm-hmm. and the development. That's the the fun part of it. It's not to as much as I I always get frustrated because I always want to know who the QB is going to. I know that it's for good reason to to really make sure you pick the right guy and that they're pushing each other all the way to the end. All right, so give me another position battle. Well, what turned into being the running back depth that all of a sudden and the flip-flop from what we thought was going to be a huge amount of wide receiver depth and now it's at running back I mean with this many guys eligible to play it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable how many people are are back there and I'm not saying everybody's going to be able to contribute but you have to develop you you would imagine you have to be able to develop at least one to two of those guys to a, you know a pretty good level with um with a spring where everybody's on the field and I feel like like that got kind of robbed from us. I don't I don't know what's going to end up happening and we're probably yeah. going to come out with less information than we really ever thought if you look at what the roster is. I had running back as my number one that I was looking forward to cuz I wanted to see Khalil, Her- Khalil Herbert, the transfer from Kansas. I wanted to see Keyshawn King, I want to see Taj Gary, I wanted to see Marco Lee, the Juco kid, and even Terrius Wheatley who at times I thought had shown promise. I wanted to see if he was healthy and could maybe do something. You also have Jalen Holston and Cole Beck. Beck, I think is, he's a track guy. We all know he's a, he's a really fast kid and his track is probably the thing he's best at. Uh, I don't know what his contributions will be going forward. Just looking at this list, but you also had the guy from Rutgers, Raheem Blackshear, who they said was going to meet in the running back room. Yeah. Even though I thought we could He's more likely to catch more passes. Um, they said he was going to meet in the running back room initially. So there were so many players that I was looking forward to. Like, who emerges here? My prediction would have been Herbert. But I think Lee would have a shot at it. King, we know King was super talented coming out of high school and had to play at a necessity last year. Uh, what could he do in a second year after being in the weightlifting program? And that that's the kind of guy that this layoff is going to hurt. You know what I mean? Because you don't have access to the weight room. You don't have access to even a public gym. You know, yeah. you you need to have weights at your house or you need to be like, what was it, Austin Cannon that was pushing the car? Yes. <laughs> One of our offensive linemen was pushing a car on uh, on Twitter. 
so yeah, it sucks because I wanted to see how that running back room was going to shake out as well. Wide receiver, I think you have to list only because it's been taken down a few pegs from the depth position. You have Turner and Robinson, who you know are very good. But after that, it's a complete mystery. Like, is Caleb Smith going to build on some of the promise he showed? What about Bowick? He's kind of a big-bodied guy. Payout was the the big-time recruit, like one of our highest recruits. Is he going to step up? Do we have to move and then, Blackshear over? Like, yeah, before? is Blackshear going to catch a lot of passes and be, you know, a supplementary, supplementary slot guy or move to the outside? I don't know. And so that was going to be interesting too. I know I'm cheating, but I would also add in to that just because I have to is Mitchell and Gallo and, and what's going to happen in, in that situation, given the the maybe the perceived depth that we all thought we were going to have that may exist or may not exist. Who knows? Maybe all of these guys are, are ready to go. But I thought that was going to be, I think we kind of know what we were going to get from Mitchell. Uh, Gallo was... Um, I think people have said raving things about him and, you know, we're, we're hopefully going to see that on the field. So I would, I would tie that in as, as well, but a little bit of a, uh, an under the radar pick for a position battle would have been the right side of the line because we're getting hopefully, uh, Brock Hoffman at center this year. Right. And everyone's just been saying the most amazing things about Brock Hoffman. There is little doubt in my mind that if if fully healthy, he will be the starting center. So then that takes Brian Hudson and Zach Hoyt and moves them to depth because you got Doug Nestor at right guard and you got either Silas or Tenuta at right tackle. And that that right tackle is a particularly interesting battle, and I kind of think Tenuta is going to come out on top. But at right guard, is Hudson going to push Nestor? Is Hoyt or Cannon going to push Nestor? Because I think Lasitas and Darisol have it locked down on the left side, but that right side of the line, sneaky amount of competition, and the offensive line in, in general, ton of depth. Yeah, it's I mean, it's huge. And probably one of the areas, I, I say this in a positive way, is the least interesting to me because I feel like it is in a more solid position and it has increasingly been so. We started to say that last year. It started to feel a little bit better. Every year it's gotten a little bit better. And, and that, um, for me, I, I have I have more focus on the areas that I'm a little bit concerned. An area that I'm interested, and I, I know we're probably hitting every position group, but, well, we're on a football podcast, so we're going to go ahead and do that. I, I'm interested to see what happens with the talent that we have and where everybody ends up and how we lock it down at linebacker that that's going to be i think it's relatively solidified but if if those guys can take an extra step i think we know what we have with ashby i think dax has some improvement over last year he he admitted as much i think on multiple occasions throughout the season saying you know every game i'm seeing the field a little bit better but i'm still missing reads i'm still kind of you know and you can almost see that on film but there's enough there i think that could be exciting between ashby and hollyfield and artist and tisdale um and that could be that could be interesting for the linebacking core yeah, I think the question is at at backer, yeah. right? Like, does does Tisdale get more playing time instead of Dax? Does Dax slide over to Mike a little bit time to spell Ashby? Because Dax is 
quote unquote natural position would be Mike when Ashby graduates this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tisdale has shown so much promise and is probably a more natural backer that some people want him to play more than Dax, even though Dax is a very good player. And then you throw Amari Barno in there, who's really a wild card and is huge and could potentially be a really great stand-up outside linebacker who rushes, like, you know, kind of almost like a defensive end, and maybe that's kind of how they'll use him. So I'm with you. That linebacker depth and experience uh, provides some very interesting scenarios. Let's just a quick, couple quick hitting questions. The deepest position on the team, what do you think it is? The running backs have more, have unknowns. Well, they're not all unknowns, but I think we saw a lot of explosiveness, explosiveness from Keyshawn King. I think we saw Wheatley to your point. We have upside from Herbert that, but the deepest position from my, from my standpoint has got to be the offensive line at this because and I hate to make it about one person, but that additional having Hoffman out there, I think is really going to be a game changer for that offensive offensive Absolutely. line that it's going to improve everybody across all five on the front that it gives a lot of, it gives a lot of chance to spell other guys. I think they are going to have backups for a lot of positions where you can rotate people in and out as they develop throughout the season. So my my would be uh, offensive line. I think we have ten guys on the offensive line who have started a game. It, it, some something like that. Yeah. It, it's or at least have played many snaps in a game. We can go a full two deep on the offensive line. Yeah, I I, I firmly believe that. And our second string offensive line would be better than a few of the offensive lines we've had over the past five, six years. <laughs> that That's that's how much it's taken a leap forward, I think, or will take a leap forward this year. The starting line could be sensational. I'm so pumped. It's absolutely the deepest position. Uh, I don't even think there's necessarily a close second. I guess I'd go with running back like you hinted at, just because there are a lot of bodies, bodies there. The thinnest position, what did you have for that? I got to go back to defensive tackle it just it really concerns me in terms of it and defensive tackle or defensive end no defensive tackle i i feel more comfortable with defensive end developing over the course of the season than the defensive tackle i feel like we have a good number of people but the only thing that i've injuries at that position and just not a lack of development of people that we thought would be really, really good is a concern for me at that position. And because I I feel like when maybe this is just my perception, but when you have strength at defensive tackle, it gives you a little bit more flexibility because when you're trying to get people up from like a defensive end, if you're like struggling a defensive tackle, gaining weight is usually a lot more troublesome than having people drop weight and be able to still be as athletic and I always feel like we struggle with this problem of, I mean, and most of the time when we've had great defensive tackles, we ended up losing them, you know, pretty early on. So that for me, just until I see great defensive tackle play for like a couple of years is still always going to be a concern for me. We, that has been 
a struggle for for a while for us. And I'm not saying yeah, that the I talent agree. that we have isn't there. I agree it's been a struggle. Uh, but I think defensive end has been just as big a struggle the last couple of years. We cannot get an outside pass rush. And I like Belmar and Garbett. I think they're solid players, and Garbett has some good potential going forward. But it to me, defensive end is is still just such a glaring thin position. Defensive tackle, I love the starters in Hewitt and Crawford. I think Crawford was mm-hmm. a gem that we found in JUCO. Yeah. Uh, Kendricks and Pollard, I love as well. And so for me, I feel so good about those four players. Fuga, I, I know they they feel pretty good about him. And Cunningham was the big JUCO kid that didn't get a chance to really play last year. So that's six guys who I think. I think all of them have potential, and I like the starters. I'm more concerned about Andy is the the long and short of it. Maybe you are looking at the freshmen and Bryant and Wooten and Beatles and like expecting at least one of them to pop. Yeah, and that that's a that's a fair thing. But with Becton being suspended and we don't know his status, I just like Griffin and Debose and Adams are our three top backups and. Adams, I know, is showing a little bit of promise here and there, but it's just very shaky at defensive end. Yeah, and yes, take it if you took Becton off, so it starts to look a little bit thinner. But I'm just always more of a little a numbers person. You just don't know necessarily who's going to develop year over year, so I'll always kind of gravitate just towards numbers and ability to have somebody that's going to commit themselves in the off season change their diet, change their athleticism, change, spend more time watching film, developing their game with a, you have the same number of people. And then, you know, I'm always going to go with, you know, who has the most talent, but when you start using numbers, then you have a chance for people to really develop and break out kind of season over season. And I mean, heck, that's why they put scholarship limits in place. Well, (laughs) Tap, Tap and Tierlink are going to be earning their paycheck, developing those positions that we are differing on who's the thinnest. Yes. <laughs> because that's the entire defensive line. And I do think the starters are good across the line. Yes. It's, it's just behind them that either of us have questions on. And injuries always just are the most frightening thing to me. We're, we're just... Yeah, we can't handle injuries at the end. We, we just can't. Yeah. Um, but we took some this year, despite that being the case as well. Yeah. So the last question I had before we get to the Twitter quote unquote mailbag uh, was the position with the highest ceiling. And when I say highest ceiling, I'll clarify in that which position do you think is most likely to be the best unit in the ACC? So like, will we have the best Offensive line in the ACC. Well, we have the best tight ends in the ACC. Which What's the most likely to be the best unit in the ACC? The best unit, meaning you only have to play your starters. How about that? So they have to stay healthy. Otherwise, it doesn't really work sure. out Sure, highest way. ceiling would indicate health, yeah. It's going to be linebacker for me. It, like, And I know that doesn't sound right, and I know we don't have, but if some of those guys and... I think we have four to five that can be really good. And at least two of them have shown themselves to be very, very good. If we can round that out, I think that if I look across all these positions. And if you include Chamari Connor yes. with the linebackers too, which you very well could, 
I I hear Dax, Ashby, and Connor is a hell of a trio. Yeah. So I I would have to go there because if I look at quarterback, all ACC is going to be tough there. In the it's going to be tough. Yeah, that's going to be rough. Running backs, I just don't know what we we have as a it's, as a unit. It's, again, that's a Clemson pick right there. Yeah. <laughs> wide wide receivers maybe but we 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 lost a decent amount there can i give you mine i'm i'm excited to hear it corner it's farley and waller yeah and and if you take just that that's health wise right because those guys both ended the season injured yeah but when they were playing they were an incredible combination at corner and i like armani chapman's potential i like breon murray's potential even Nadir Thompson has a lot of speed, and he has a chance to play. We saw them in the bowl game. Uh, I like corner, even if we have to go nickel and put it in another corner. I think this will be the year that we actually get back to that DBU because of Farley and Waller. I think they're just that good and that we could potentially have the best cornerback unit in the ACC. My uh, use linebacker was one of my picks, uh, but I'll give you – one more is a tight end because yeah. I think Gallo and Mitchell Mitchell's going to be used more than just a tight end this year because of the wide receiver situation. Yep. He'll be used potentially on the outside and he'll catch a lot of passes and Gallo will be used as a blocker a lot. I think if we're running the football, so tight end, we could have the best tight end group in the ACC as well. Yeah. I would say the most interesting behind what what ends up happening at running back has to be the year over year development at safety and what's going to happen there because there were a lot of stub toes on that position group and sure throughout the season and you that it is not for lack of talent like Diablo, Hunter, Connor, Peoples, like even Walker they're they're talented guys and that was not a great position for us whatsoever. So whether they take that to heart and come out with a purpose next year, I think will be interesting. I don't know what's going to end up happening, but I'll be I'll be interested to see how they how they develop. I am hoping the safeties take a massive step forward. And whether it's because we'll have Diablo and Rogers as seniors or Hunter as a fourth year player. I mean, he's a redshirt junior this year. Mm-hmm. Like he should be able to step up and fill Reggie Floyd's shoes and fill them well. And people are very excited about J.R. Walker as well. So I, uh, I think the safeties will be better. That's probably a decent, that would probably be a decent position battle only because Diablo and Hunter, like they, they need to prove themselves. Like they, they do. I know Diablo has been a player for us for a while, but like, he made a lot of mistakes last year. He's got the size. He's got all the physical tools. I'm hoping his redshirt senior year is the year he's able to put it all together for us. And he showed a ton of upside. Like it was night and day when he was on his game last year and when he was mm-hmm. off of it. That's how you know it's there. The ability yeah. is there. It's just reps and like studying film and knowing where you're you're supposed to be and he has a he has a ton of upside. It would be exciting to see him really put it all together and be consistent just across the board. 
All right, so let's hit up this uh, Twitter mailbag. I'm going to go to our Twitter account and uh, pull up some of the comments from this week. Just when I said we're going to be recording, if anyone wants us to talk about anything, let us know. We have talked about some of the stuff. For instance, we had Dusty Gray asking, I'd be curious to hear what you guys have to say about the wide receiver lineup and depth chart now that Hazleton and some of the wide receivers left during the offseason. And we did address that, that it's absolutely a position of need, and that's why it was nice to get Neville committed. And nice that uh, Blackshear might be an option for us. We're still waiting on the waiver from him as well. We need to get him cleared because it's not – it's not certain that he's going to be eligible. But, yeah, we're concerned about the wide receivers, and that's why we talked about Mitchell potentially being split out wide a little bit more often. We had Chris at Dankus Hokey ask, we want to hear your thoughts on Texas to VT and how it's laying the groundwork for VT21. Again, definitely something we addressed. I hope that Neville – is one of those kids that wants to get out there and recruit for us. Cause it certainly seems like Demetrius Davis has done that. Yeah. It, I mean, it has to be, it has to be exciting to have prospects to go play with some guys that you either played against or played with or whatever the case may be, or grew up and knew in, in your program. If I'm thinking about where I'm going to go to school, everybody talks about like, what's a re- recruit really care about? That's something that would be fun. I know that there used to be pressure on people to go to colleges because your buddies were going. Like I had eight buddies that all went to JMU, me included. My freshman year, I went to JMU before I transferred to Tech. All eight of us went there. And guess what? It was the best year of my entire life. It was like taking your entire high school shenanigans and then elevating it times like 25 times. So it's not to say that that it's going to dictate what anybody's going to do, but it probably adds incentive in my mind. So if people are out there and they're recruiting the way that, um, the way that he has, that would be all the better for, for us. It, 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 there's no downside to getting people out there and trying to recruit people that they know that are good or they're played against or played with. We had JK man ask us how he thought each of the football and basketball recruiting classes would shake out. And it's funny because right before we started recording, <laughs> We said the 2020 basketball recruiting class is in the top 20. And the 2021 football recruiting class is currently in the top 20. So things are are looking good at the moment. <laughs> so that's that's nice. As for how it's going to shake out, my hope is definitely top 25 for the 2021 re- football recruiting class. Basketball, I have no idea because it's we, we just got done and we're kind of maxed out on scholarships right now i guess once we lose three seniors we'll have a couple guys to offer but that cycle just hasn't even really started yet for us yeah i would say i have the most concern at this point about flips off of the virginia tech football recruiting class that for 2021 some of those people we we targeted really early in the process which was smart and that's not a that's not a bad thing it's just over time whether or not we can hold on to all those people. You know what people are saying about Davis in terms of his quarterback production is is pretty astounding. From you know, I think there was a post on it today from twenty four seven Sports being saying that he probably has the best resume in the entire country from a QB recruit for that that class. That's insane it's in terms of winning two state national championships in Texas, things like that. So 
and he seems the most committed and there's nobody recruiting. He does. He seems solid. And so I, I'm not worried, worried about a flip, but anything's possible with those top, top. Yeah. There's just a lot of time between now and signature to paper in that 2021 recruiting class for football. So we need to keep at it. And this extended dead period is probably, well, it's not helping anybody in the country, but it's certainly not helping us either. Alexa Adams asked us, your thoughts on a world without sports and the impacts to college athletes. And this was something that you had mentioned to me just about the athletic departments around the country and the effect it's going to have on college athletics and college athletes is going to be massive with, with regard to the pandemic to the point that we might see a lot of lesser sports programs i.e. not college football or college basketball get cut from some from some programs yeah if you and uh, as much as we try to keep a lot of this more positive if you haven't been following some of the more national podcasts or twitter feeds or anything like that or just news articles whatever you're into talking about the commissioners and the ad's and their perspective on revenue what and what they're going to bring in this year the numbers are staggering in terms of what they think the reduction is going to be and how they're going to have to affect that onto the programs and what programs they're all being relatively open about it. They're just saying there's a, there's a bunch of, you know, Olympic sports that we're going to have to cut. Like they don't generate money. Like we can't, I can't run a program with the amount of money that we're going to bring in this year. I think you're, going to be surprised if you haven't paid attention to it how devastating it is um to it probably most of those programs are going to be canceled by the time we start school this year and then if you're looking towards the spring semester those are definitely where you're going to start to see cuts to programs and a lot of them are going to be very difficult to bring back because it's going to take a large amount of time for people to to generate the revenue that can afford those sports and it's devastating for athletes you know somebody was talking the other day about how you prepared all this time i think somebody was talking about one of the college basketball players that stayed for another season he plays for indiana illinois somebody he plays for and he came back he could have gone to the nba and he came back because he wanted to really take his team through the ncaa tournament and then it just got wiped out and you know that was somebody that cared more about his teammates and his program than he did you know his professional decision to go make money in the nba and definitely could have done it i think it was guaranteed to to go get paid well in the nba and he came back and then the season gets canceled uh, or the or the tournament gets canceled, you know, right before they're going to start. Yeah, I, it's, you know, there's a lot. It's going to have a things. very negative impact on college athletes. Unfortunately, the, the non-football and basketball playing off athletes in particular. Um, and we don't really know the full extent, but we know that it's probably going to be very negative and swim programs and tennis programs and all the quote unquote lesser sports will probably be cut at a lot of major universities because of this. And that sucks. Finally, we got two comments from Steve Bryce. Uh, The one was just about 
if we get no football this season, and we talked about that earlier. The second one was, why did it take a global pandemic and stay-at-home orders for our football coach to grow a personality? <laughs> and Steve, uh, Steve doesn't always have the most sunny disposition on Twitter, but I, th- I found that slightly humorous. Uh, I don't know why it took Fuente. We we talked about that too, whether he's just bored or whatever. But hey, the interaction he's given to fans and uh, and and us in this time where everyone's kind of sitting at home on their phones and watching TV and not having a whole lot to do outside the house, it's been cool to see him kind of take to it. I would agree. I I it, we got too much negativity to go around right now, especially in the way the world's operating at the moment, I'd rather just see the positive in it, that it's awesome for fans to be able to interact with them. than it would Mm -hmm. be the, you know, the negative it's, and I just hope that he's having fun with it. And then maybe it changes moving forward when he has time. I'd rather him be out there coaching the players than interacting with, you know, somebody pissed off because we lost the game on Saturday. Yeah. Well, do you have a, another beer that you're drinking over there that we can take a quick break before we sign off? I do. I, I don't know if we've had this one on here. I went with Malibu Nights Double IPA. So if I can't be there, then I might as well just drink it. That looks nice. Uh, it's got a, a beautiful can. It, it It's almost the same as this office I've been sitting in every single day. So it's <laughs> Champion Brewing Company, who we've had numerous times, I think, on here at this point, mostly probably from for me after your your move it's an eight percent double ipa brewed with tangerines and hibiscus so yeah i didn't i didn't really uh i didn't really expect the hibiscus when i was buying this but it's really good it's kind of refreshing it's starting to get me ready for some warm days which we've been getting recently so It'll help get me out of the office, maybe on on some walks around six feet apart from everybody. So that's Champion Brewing. That's uh, Charlottesville, right? That's right. Yeah, nobody it's, likes when does, nobody likes when I bring on the Champion Charlotte. makes some yeah. good beer. Yeah, I know, I know, it's tough because <laughs> it's Charlottesville, but that beer sounds like something that'd be up my alley. There's a, and there's a, it's it's getting hard because there's a lot of there's a lot of breweries out towards Charlottesville that are doing well and. Um, there's a lot here too, but there's, it's hard when you're drinking somewhat local stuff that's easier to find, but it's, um, uh, it's a good beer. It's refreshing. I don't know if anybody's gonna be able to get it. I don't know how, how widely distributing those, uh, places are going to be here soon. I'm drinking just a Sierra Nevada pale ale, the green label. It's one of my go-to house beers. I, I enjoy, I had said before yards pale ale, which is, uh, a Philadelphia beer that I had at my wedding. That's a standard fridge beer for me. But this Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, it's a standard order if I'm at a crowded bar. Uh, it's easy to to grab and to, to tell the bartender to get. Um, and I just think it's a good, solid beer. But I've always been a fan of the, the green label Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I like it. All right, man. That's going to do it for the podcast. We covered some good stuff. I mean, it, it sucks that... We are, there's the prospect that we might not have a season. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I suppose that's the least of our problems at the moment. Certainly is. Uh, but it was fun to talk some football with you after, after the long layoff. Well, I think it's also you're, you know, this, 
I started saying this, that it doesn't all have to be, you know, black and white. Like you can't just not bitch about anything because, you know, other people in the world have it worse right now. Like every, everybody's trying to do their part to try and help people out. Everybody's hopefully sticking around their homes and not getting people, people sick and trying to curb, uh, what's going on right now. So I think it's both okay to have a ton of sympathy and sadness and do whatever you can for the people around you, but also, you know, realize that it, it sucks for, for everybody that we're all stuck here and um, we're not getting as much done as we'd like to be. I guess we're, it's probably good that we're spending more time with our family. I've, I've certainly spent more time with my daughter in the past uh, four weeks than I probably uh, have in, in the past. So there's, and I'm not the rosiest picture of uh of opinions most of the time so but i'm trying to see a little bit of positivity that comes out of it and if nothing else and this has been oversaid we will end up appreciating the stuff that we did have more and i know a lot of people have been saying that but even on this podcast you know when if we don't have a football season or or even if we do get, you know, have a football season, we'll be more appreciative having it than we would be otherwise. Yeah. So, um, you know, hopefully we can all just kind of think about those things and, you know, do what we can for people in any way you can, whether it's financially or even in, you know, I'm in Vienna, they have, you know, help donate to seniors and stuff like that. Me and my wife have been trying to figure out how we can get out and do stuff with also not endangering the populace even more than you would be otherwise. Yeah. So it's a, it's a fine balance and it's a tough ask for everybody. It's all about the silver linings right now, right? What are the, what are the positives that you can pull from doing this? And like you said, spending more time with family, uh, getting to know your true self, doing your hobbies, getting out in the yard and whatever project that you had, whether you wanted to start a podcast, write a book, take up uh, online courses in something that you wanted to get a master's degree in, this is the time. Yeah. The, if you can't do it now, and I, you can never do it because the, this is the time to to just accomplish that goal or that thing that's been hanging out there. Oh, I'll never have enough time to do that. Now you have the time to do it. Yep. So... Try to use this time to uh, to look at the positives and 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 put a positive impact on your future life in the time you have right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And that's enough of our soap soapbox. I suppose. We don't have a soapbox. Some of it is just <laughs> life some, advice. Some of it Pete is uh, <laughs> some of it's self advice as, as well. So uh, it is. It absolutely is because I'm trying to tell myself that as uh, as I'm saying it for sure. Yep. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you for listening. Thanks for uh, for putting up with us and, and coming back to the podcast because we haven't been around since since February, uh, due, mainly due to me and having uh, to move and, and deal with all that. And then, of course, uh, everyone's transition to the work-from-home life. But even without spring football, we wanted to talk a little spring football with you guys because normally this time of year – it's one of my favorites because you can't lose <laughs> and there's only usually good articles to get hyped about. So that's right. Uh, we tried to bring a little bit of that here tonight and you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2 VT. We'll still be interacting from there. You can hit us up on Gmail. It's 2 VT at gmail.com. Instagram is at 2 VT. 2 is our website where you can stream all the podcasts and see all the beers we've had. And write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have the time. It helps us out. 
Until next time, uh, hopefully we're talking about the alternate plan for the football season and whatnot and previewing some of next year's opponents the next time we talk to you. Uh, Until then, go Hokies.